We're going to uh, start uh, by reading from uh, Psalm 143, so uh, you can open your Bibles to Psalm 143 or your phone app, or I think it's on the screen, uh, Psalm 143, my soul thirsts for you. It's a Psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you, for the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go. For you, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, um, we live in a, a dry and thirsty land. Not dry and thirsty for physical things. We have abundance but it is our spirits and our souls that are parched. We're struggling with so many things right now, God. And I pray that your spirit would renew us, that you would come in great power right here today at Grace Hill Church. Make us feel your spirit. Give us the the water, the living water to drink that we would, we would be satisfied and that we would trust only in you. Father, we pray for what's going on around the world. The enemy is at work. Um, he is marching furiously, and we pray that uh, your spirit would block him. We particularly pray for those people in Afghanistan right now, and we pray that you would send Michael, the great archangel there, to oppose Satan and all of the violence and all of the destruction that's going on there. Father, would you draw people to you? Would you reveal your spirit even to those who are carrying out the work of the enemy? Would they come to know you? Father, we pray for peace above all, that you would fill our hearts with a peace that passes all understanding, even in the midst of chaos and death and struggle. Come, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts today. We trust you. We love you, Father. We love you, Jesus. And we pray these things in the powerful name of the one who is able to quench our thirst, and that is the Lord Jesus of Nazareth. Amen.
Thank you, Dan and Esperanza, for reading the scripture for us. They read from Psalm 143, and uh, that is the scripture we will be in this morning. If you've been joining with us over the last couple of weeks, um, you know we've been in a short uh, sermon series studying Psalm 143 that we've entitled, He Will Not Leave studying the faithfulness of God to us, even when we are struggling to be faithful or to believe in him. And so if you have your Bible uh, already open to Psalm 143 or your Bible app open to it, keep it there, and we'll spend uh, our time together uh, this morning uh, finishing up this psalm. So we'll specifically be looking at verses 9 to 12. So the last two weeks, we've studied verses 1 to 8. So if you missed those, really encourage you uh, to go back to our website or our YouTube channel, um, and you can catch uh, those sermons. This psalm, Psalm 143, is a psalm about struggling with your faith. It's a psalm about when your spirit feels faint, or even, as David says, when it feels like your spirit is failing you. And you're not sure, God, are you there? Do you hear me? And so remember, this is what we've been saying about the Psalms for the last two weeks, is that the Psalms give us permission to go to God with what is honestly inside of our heart. We don't have to hide a thing from God. And when we go to God with what's going on, actually going on within us, He encourages us back with the truth. And so two weeks ago, week one, we learned three truths about our relationship with God. David is going to God. God, answer me. Like, where are you? And we are encouraged back with three truths about God's faithfulness to us in his relationship with us. Last week, We learned in the middle of this psalm, what do we do when we hit these circumstances, when we feel like our faith is struggling? What do we do? And this week, as we end the psalm in verses 9 to 12, we're going to talk about our enemies. One reason we might be struggling with faith, one reason why we might hit a place where we're wondering where God is, is because we are feeling attacked by our enemies, whether those are people or our great enemy himself, Satan. And the question that we have before us this morning is this, what do we do when others hurt us? What do we do when other people are seeking our harm? And so where we have to start when we even begin to talk about this is we got to ask the question, well, who is my enemy? Who is my enemy? And biblically speaking, your enemy is any person, or it could be spiritual in nature as well, anyone who is pursuing your harm. So David who wrote this psalm, had an an enemy that he wrote often about. That was King Saul, the Saul before him. I mean, sorry, the king before him, his predecessor. King Saul was very jealous of David. David had the anointing of God. Saul didn't. David was much uh, more liked by the people, was much more successful in battle. People praised David. He would go and kill his 10,000s in battle, and Saul only killed his thousands in battle. And Saul was jealous of David and spent a ton of time pursuing, trying to kill David. And David spent a ton of time running away from Saul, hiding in caves, trying to avoid Saul and his men. So that was one of David's enemies, Saul. He was pursuing David, trying to harm David. Now, we are blessed, many of us, not all of us, many of us, we are blessed in that we, we haven't really had an experience of an enemy like that. Another person who is literally pursuing us, seeking our harm. Some of us may have. But when we even we look at the images of, of like what's going on this week in Afghanistan or 
you know, things going on in the country of Ethiopia where you have people, innocent people, and they have governments and regimes over them that literally want their destruction. We have brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now who literally are facing the threat of a brutal death just for following Jesus. They have these literal enemies coming after them. And and we're blessed that many of us don't have quite that experience. But today in our psalm, what I want to do, though, is I want to kind of broaden out this definition of enemy. Because although we, we may not experience having another person who's our enemy literally pursuing after our harm or our destruction, many times we feel it. We feel like we have an enemy. When anyone attacks us, whether they attack us with their words or with their actions, there are many times whether we actually have an enemy or that person is an enemy or not, they feel like an enemy. Right? There are times where your spouse might feel like an enemy. They're not your enemy, but they feel like it because maybe they attack you or they say things to you that are hurtful and it feels like you have an enemy. Maybe it's at work, a coworker or a boss who feels like they have it out for you or they do things that are hurtful or they're dismissive towards you and it feels like I have an enemy. Someone's attacking me. Or, Or maybe it's just the broader culture. You know, we live in a context where our culture is increasingly more hostile towards what we believe, more hostile towards Christianity. Maybe it feels like, man, we have tons of enemies out there who do hurtful things, say hurtful things, threaten hurtful things towards us because of what we believe. And so the reason why I want to broaden this definition out a bit is whether these people in our life are our actual enemies or not, We feel it, it feels like they're our enemy, and so our reaction most of the time is as if they are our enemy. And so when it comes to this question, how do we respond to our enemies, it's very relevant whether the actual person who's attacking or feels like they're attacking is our enemy or not. Because our reaction is the same. You know, and the reality is that Some of our most painful moments in life, I know when I look back on my life, the most painful moments that I have walked through has been when someone has attacked me or someone has hurt me or someone has rejected me. It's usually relational brokenness that becomes the most painful, most memorable shaping moments of our lives. Right, conflict is normally those moments you have during your day that you wake up the next day thinking about and replaying over and over in your head. And it consumes your thoughts. Because when one image bearer attacks another image bearer, or when one image bearer hurts another image bearer, there's something especially evil about that. It's not the way the world is supposed to be. Yet we experience it all of the time. And so when it happens, it can just throw our world upside down. And David experienced that over and over again, especially with King Saul. And so many of his psalms are, God, protect me from my enemies. Help me know what to do in these moments when I feel like someone is attacking me. And so we need wisdom from God's word on what to do when we're in that Situation, And I believe the end of Psalm 143, verses 9 to 12, gives us that wisdom. And that's what we'll be studying together this morning. Let me read these last four verses, verses 9 to 12, and then we'll jump in. David says this, he says, verse 9, Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. 
Now, what I want to do with this text this morning is I want to break it up into two pieces. I want us to study verse 9 and 10 together and verses 11 and 12 together. Uh, Verses 9 and 10 are going to help answer the question for us, how should we respond to our enemies or when we feel attacked by others? How? And verses 11 and 12 are going to answer the why. Why should we respond in that way? And so what I want to do, though, is I actually want to start with the why. I want to start with 11 and 12. Let's look at those verses. What's, why should we respond in the way that David is going to teach us this morning? And then we'll get to the how. So in verses 11 and 12, I've got two truths that we are given about how God helps us respond to our enemies and why we should respond in that particular way. So this is the why, right? Two truths that we get from verses 11 and 12. And so here's, here's truth number one. Truth number one is this. It's gonna anchor us for the morning before we get to the how. So truth one is God has promised to protect his children. When you read verses 11 and 12, we see that God has promised to protect his children. And this brings us back to a truth that we learned in week one of our study here of Psalm 143. One of the things we said in week one was this, that God relates to us. God listens to us. He answers our prayers. He's with us. He protects us on the basis of his righteousness, not on the basis of our righteousness. That's what we learned in week one, that our relationship with God is not anchored in our performance, but it is anchored in the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. And that's how God relates with us, that that you and I are children of God. We are right with God. We have been forgiven by God and brought into relationship with him, not because of anything that we've done. It's solely because Jesus Christ lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died in our place. And so God forgives us of our sin, gives us Jesus' righteousness, and says, that is now the anchor of my relationship with you. It's Jesus. And so we learned this last week, that this is the basis of God's relationship with us. So when you look at our text and you look at these promises in verses 11 and 12, you begin to pick this up. Right, Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. Not because of my righteousness. Hey God, I had a great week this week. Quiet times every day, right? Washed my mouth, did a bunch of stuff. So I feel like now I have this, this, this credit with you that I can bring to you and say, because I've done all these things, because of my righteousness, God, I need you to protect me this week because something's going on. And that's not theologically correct at all. It's saying on your righteousness, God, that's my appeal. Bring my soul out of trouble. Verse 12, and in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. Not because of my steadfast love, God, because of your steadfast love, cut off my enemies. And so we see this truth that God promises to protect his children. And this is really good news for us because God doesn't waver on this. He doesn't decide for his children, hey, this week you're on your own because that was messed up. That's not how God relates with us. He promises to protect his children because of his righteousness. Now, this promise to protect us, right? It's not this promise that, you know, God is going to send us angelic bodyguards that are going to be with us in every single situation we get in. They're going to step in and help out, right? Every single situation where maybe we feel attacked or we feel like we're, uh, uh, someone is coming after us or whatever it is, that they're going to step in and end the situation, and they're like constantly there with us in this tangible manner. That's not what God is actually saying. 
that we have these bodyguards or there's these supernatural solutions to every single hard situation that we face. No, what this is saying is that God in his sovereignty, God in his fatherhood of us, God, because he is always protecting us and he's with us and he's watching out for us, he is the one who's in control of our destiny and he's the one who's in control of our destination. And not only for us, but also for our enemies. That he's the one who will have the final say in those things. And the reality is, is there's so much for us to fear in this world. There's so much for us to fear. I mean, when we think about the culture around us and the trajectory of where it's going when it comes to our faith, or when we think about people who might want to harm us, we think about what's going, around, going on around the world, that brings so much fear. And we need wisdom on how to daily respond to that. That's where we're going in verses 9 and 10. But ultimately, what we have as followers of Jesus, as children of God, is this certainty that God is going to protect us. And then we look over the arc of our whole life, we will see that God has always brought us exactly where he wants us to be. And he is bringing us exactly where he has promised, namely his kingdom for all of eternity. When we look over the arc of our life and everything that God is doing, we will see that God is accomplishing justice in everything that he does. That is his promise here in verse 11 and 12. He will destroy the adversaries of our soul. He will judge our enemies. So we can trust that God will protect his children not because we deserve it, but because he has purchased us by the blood of Jesus. And that leads us to truth number two. Truth number two is this. God will accomplish perfect justice. And we see that in verse 12 when he says he will cut off our enemies. He will destroy the adversaries of our soul. That is something that he is going to do. But the thing that we must understand is that this work is ultimately God's work. God is the one who will bring our enemies to judgment. God is the one who will bring all enemies to God's people or to his kingdom to judgment. That's his work. That's not our work, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 19 makes this very clear to us when Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourself. Never is a pretty strong word. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so what we know is that God will accomplish perfect justice against all enemies, against his people, and against his kingdom. And God's going to do that in one of two ways. God's going to achieve this justice in one of two ways, through the cross or through his eternal judgment. I mean, we need to understand, if you're a follower of Jesus, that we, as Ephesians 2 teaches us, were once enemies of God and enemies of his kingdom. And God accomplished perfect justice when it comes to our sin against him by his grace through the cross, where his wrath against our sin was exhausted upon his son on the cross instead of being exhausted upon us. God has avenged our sin against him and against his kingdom. He has avenged that. And for those who do not know Christ, for those who do not confess and repent of their sin, for those who do not trust upon the cross, for those whom their sin was not avenged on the cross, God will repay them through their eternal judgment. That is what the scripture teaches us, that God will accomplish perfect justice through the cross or through his judgment. 
And so I, I say that to you because if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're joining us online or listening to this later on a podcast or something, and you don't trust Jesus to be the one who took away your sins because he allowed God to literally avenge your sin upon himself, excuse me, upon himself, then you right now are under the wrath of God. Romans 12, 19, leave it to the wrath of God. You are under the wrath of God, and yet that can change because Christ has offered you this free gift of salvation which says, confess your sin, repent of your sin, and trust upon me on the cross to be the one to save you from your sin, and then your sin will now be avenged on the cross, and you are now God's child. So God will accomplish perfect justice, It will be through the cross or it will be through his judgment. We see that here in verse 12. So these are our two truths that we got to take in when we ask the, how do I respond to my enemies? We got to know, we got to know that God has promised to protect his children. He is going to take you exactly where he intends and nothing will change that. No enemy can thwart the plan of God. And truth number two, God will accomplish perfect justice. It will occur. We have been given that promise. These are two truths that now inform how we respond to our enemies or how we respond to people when we feel like they attack us. And so that leads us to verses 9 and 10. Let's go back up the psalm. I want to look at verses 9 and 10 because in these two verses, what I think we get is three steps to responding to our enemies. Three steps on what we should do when we feel attacked. Whether we feel attacked by another person or we're feeling attacked by Satan himself. Three steps to how we should respond in verses 9 and 10. Step number one is this. We run to God for refuge. The first thing we do when we feel attacked is we run to God for refuge. We get this in verse 9. Very clear. David says, Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Literally, the Hebrew there in verse 9 is, I have fled to you to cover me. Now, I get it. This can sound like a religiously trite phrase. especially to someone who is really being attacked. They have actual enemies who are pursuing their harm today. To be able to say, just run to God for refuge, that sounds a little trite. So what do we mean by that? Well, the the reality is this. Whenever we're attacked, whether we feel attacked or we're actually being attacked or it's somebody's words or whatever it is, whenever we feel attacked, we instinctually go into a defensive posture, right? Right? We go into this posture of, I want to defend myself against this attack. And so all God is saying when he says, I want to be your refuge, he's saying, I want to be the one you go to for defense. I want to be the one that you go to. You have two choices when you're attacked, right? Basically, is you can defend yourself or you can run to God for refuge. You can run to God for him to be his defense. And this is so big, this is so important, because these two responses, defending yourself or going to God for defense, is going to put you on one of two trajectories on how this is going to play out. All right, the defending self is going to put you on a trajectory of vengeance and division. And going to God for refuge, letting him be your defense, is going to put you on a trajectory of trusting him and reconciliation. And I want to show you how these two trajectories play out when literally the first thing we do is either defend self or go to God for defense. And so to to, to put it real simple and to put it real practical, here's what it means to run to God for refuge. It literally means to develop an instinct that when you feel attacked, you hit the ground in prayer. It's literally what we're talking about. That's simple. You just hit the ground in prayer. 
When you feel attacked, when someone else is coming after you, when you feel like someone's pursuing you, when you feel like someone has hurt you, that your first instinct before you do anything else is you take that to God in prayer. It's that simple. It's not a special prayer. You don't need to say special words or special phrases. It's literally my first instinct is, God, this happened. And I'm feeling the instinct to defend because I'm getting attacked. And so we go, God, I want you to be my defense. So if this is like, you feel like your spouse is attacking you, saying unfair things to you, it's building the instinct before I do anything else, before I react, before I respond, is I go to God in prayer. If you feel like in the workplace that you got coworkers attacking you or gossiping about you or your boss is not being fair towards you, the first thing that you do first before anything else is you go to God in prayer. When you're feeling fearful about things going on in the culture or where our country is going ideologically or whatever it is, that the first thing you do is you go to God in prayer. Or when you have family members who are doing or saying hurtful things to you or talking about you behind their back to other family members or whatever it is, the first thing you do is you go God in prayer. It's very simple. I'm not trying to overcomplicate it. Because the reality is, is that we have instincts to do other things first, right? Maybe that's complain. Going to other people to complain. Now, listen, you might have someone who legitimately did something hurtful to you. And you might need to go to other people to, to process that, to get some wisdom on that. Right? But many times our first reaction is, let's go complain. Or maybe sometimes our first reaction is, let's go try to numb this out. And you go to some sort of vice or do something to try to get your mind off of it or whatever it is. We do a whole lot of things as our first reaction when we feel attacked. And all God's saying here is you need to come to me in prayer because that's going to put you on a different trajectory than if you do anything else. Not overcomplicating it. That's step one. Run to God for refuge. And if you begin to think about the times when you feel attacked, if you actually begin to journal on this or to reminisce about, you'll realize how hard step one really is. It's easy to write it off. Oh, yeah, just go to God in prayer. It's so hard to practice it in the moment. But God has promised to protect his children. And God has promised perfect justice. And so no matter what you're going through, whether it's an actual attack or not, whether they're your actual enemy or not, going to God in prayer is a statement of saying, God, I trust you with this circumstance. Step one, go to God, run to God for refuge. Step two, Seek God's will. This is from the beginning of verse 10, where David says, teach me to do your will for you. You, God, you. You are my God. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. Notice the confession that David makes here. God, you're my God. You're God. You're king. You're Lord. I am not those things. And because the thing we have to understand here is when we feel attacked, many times our default response is to respond as if we're God. I'm Lord. I'm King. My kingdom has been offended. Vengeance is mine. I get to decide what happens next. You've come and stepped into my territory. Now I'm going to respond in kind. Many times that's our instinctual response. Not as if God, you're God, and I'm here to do your will, but more, hey, you have offended my sovereignty as God of my own life. This is a pretty radical confession of David. God, teach me to do your will, because believe me, if I saw myself as God, my will is probably not going to match with what your will is. So when we respond like this, we believe vengeance is ours. So it goes, my spouse shouldn't have said that. 
So I'm not going to look her in the eye, and I'm not going to say anything for a day. I know we don't cognitively think that. That's what we do, though. Because in my silence, in my coldness, she'll realize what she's done. Vengeance. And then she'll come. And she'll make things right because she shouldn't have done that. Right? We give a silent treatment. Or maybe it comes out as, at work, passive aggressiveness towards people. Just now going to start to get snarky, treat people as if they don't know what they're doing. I'm going to get short because they've offended me. Or, or maybe it's, you know, I'm going to cut off relationship with that person in my family because I'm tired of it and they don't deserve to be in relationship with me anymore. Or, or maybe it's, I'm going to cut off that relationship with my neighbor. I'm going to cut off that relationship with my brother and sister in Christ because we don't agree on things and I don't like what they believe or I don't like what they're advocating for and so it's over. Vengeance. When we believe that we're God and that our sovereignty has been offended and attacked, we see those actions as justifiable, natural. But David is saying, God, you're you're God. So teach me to do your will. And so when we have this instinct to go to God in prayer and go to God in refuge, guys, that isn't just some spiritual discipline that unlocks God's grace in your life. No, it's literally posturing your body and your soul. You're God, I'm not. So I run to you for refuge and I'm asking you, what is your will? That's how significant this is. It's literally a theological statement to run to God for refuge and say, God, what is your will? And it might just be that in that, God says, hey, what you thought was an attack was actually, was actually the good rebuke or admonishment or exhortation of a friend. Right? Proverbs uh, 27, 6, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Maybe it's in that moment that we learn, wow, actually, that was an attack. That was an act of love that someone directed at me. And the question is, are we in a posture of humility to receive that? Are we in this posture of, God, I'm coming to you for refuge, and God, I'm asking what your will is because I'm confessing that you are God, and so I need to hear from you, all right? So that's steps one and two. Run to God for refuge and seek God's will, God's will, because he's God. And then that leads us to step number three, and that's this, follow the leadership of the Spirit. Follow the leadership of the Spirit as you walk into God's will. So verse uh, 10, the last part, David says, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I love that phrase, level ground. Um, God is often going to lead you to respond to situations like these when we are feeling attacked by others in such a way that is balanced, that is patient, that is as you come out of the situation, you're gonna settle down on, on level ground. And so I wanna, wanna explain to you what, what I think the scripture is saying here. There is this crucial difference between knowing the will of God and walking into the will of God. Right? There's a big difference between those two things. Knowing God's will. So I've gone to God for refuge, seeking his will, and I'm, I'm okay, I, I think I know what would honor God in this situation. There's a difference between knowing that and doing it in the way the Spirit would lead you to do it. All right? I think David is a really good example of this. So I mentioned earlier that David, for a long time, was fleeing from King Saul because King Saul was trying to kill him. And I want to read you a scripture from 1 Samuel chapter 24 where we read this. Because what's happening is David knew the will of God. 
David knew that he had been anointed as king and Saul lost his anointing as king. David knew that God was going to protect him because God had told him that. David knew that he was going to be installed as Israel's king. David knew all of these things. David knew that Saul would ultimately be defeated. These are all things that God had revealed to David. So David knew how to go to God for refuge, and he knew what the will of God was in this situation. The will of God is that ultimately Saul would be defeated. And then we get the situation. 1 Samuel 24, I'm going to read verses 1 to 7. It says, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. So real quick, David, Saul's pursuing after David to kill him. He wanders into a cave alone because he's got to use the bathroom. And so they're all hiding in the darkness of the cave and they're like, David, there he is. Like this, God has made his will known to you. He has said to you that this day is going to happen. Now's your chance. Says in verse, um, says this, uh, we're still in the middle of verse four. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. David trusted God. He trusted that God would protect his children and he trusted that God would ultimately accomplish perfect justice. And he trusted that God would protect him. And he trusted that God's will that he had revealed to David would come to pass. And so he had a moment where he could expedite that will. And everyone around him would have said, Absolutely, you should have done that. Everyone around him, if David went and, and took Saul down right there, would have said, that, yes, that's what God said was gonna happen. That was a godly thing for you to do, David. But David knew this isn't right. The Spirit was leading him to walk into God's will in a different way. And that particular way led David to level ground. Imagine what it would have been like to be installed as king over Israel when you were the one who took down your predecessor, slayed him. And that's not ultimately what happens to Saul because David trusts in following the leadership of the spirit into God's will. And so he wasn't hasty. He wasn't impatient. He wasn't willing to take matters into his own hands once he learned the will of God. You know, as I was reflecting on this passage and reading 1 Samuel 24 this week, you know, there, about uh, several years ago, four, five, six years ago now, I was the associate pastor of a church in Fairfax, Virginia. And um, our church experienced a lot of church conflict. And because I was a senior leader in the church, I had to make a lot of hard decisions. And so we prayed and thought about those decisions for a long time, over a year. And 
sought God for refuge, sought God's will, fasted, prayed, God, going before God, God, would you show us what to do? We want to honor you. We want to walk in your will. And we believe, and as I look back on those days, I, I believe that God revealed his will to us and that he was clear and that our hearts were in a place of walking in that will. But once I knew God's will, I feel like I was a little too hasty to expedite it. And so I made some decisions that were too fast. And I made some decisions that weren't thought through with the right heart, but I don't believe I was fully walking according to the leadership of the Spirit. And so we came out on the other side and it wasn't really level ground. So many of us are faithful to step one and two, going to God for refuge. God, I'm seeking to do your will. But when it comes to step number three, following the leadership of the spirit, we're a little impatient. You might know that there are areas in your spouse that they need to grow, legitimately, that they need to grow in these areas. And, and, and you've prayed to God about them and you've sought God's will and, and that's not coming from a place of bitterness. You might know areas in your workplace where you guys could do a better job at what you do or how your boss could do a better job. Or you might know how your coworkers, the way they're treating other people or the way they're gossiping about people is wrong. You might know all of those things because you've prayed about it and you know that. You might know that where our culture is going or where things are going ideologically are destructive and off base and not good and not according to the will of God. That might all be knowledge that you have, but in most cases, the spirit of God is going to lead you to respond to those in a much more slow, patient, trusting way. In most cases, the Spirit of God is going to remind you of the patience that God had upon you while you were his enemy. He's going to remind you of the grace that he showed you as he brought you into his fold and saved you. So you might know where your spouse needs to grow, but God might be leading you to very slow, patient prayer and faithfulness towards her or towards him. You might know the areas where your coworkers or your boss or whatever need to grow up and stop acting the way they are. And maybe God is leading you towards slow, patient prayer and faithfulness and good work ethic and being a good friend in the office and having really gentle but hard conversations. You might know the areas in which our culture is going down. And you might be afraid of that and you might be really alarmed at that and the spirit might be leading you towards really slow, faithful prayer for your neighbors and for your church. Slow, faithful, gentle, hard conversations with people seeking to maintain unity and not acting hastily. Because the spirit is going to lead us in a way where we'll come out on the other side on level ground. And there is a difference between knowing the will of God and walking into it the way the Spirit would have you do that. So when we feel attacked, two truths, right? God is going to protect his children and he will accomplish perfect justice. And because we know those truths, then we can follow these three steps. We can run to God for refuge, hit the ground in prayer. First thing, confess that God is God and seek his will. And then follow the spirit, the leadership of the spirit into that will. And so here, here's how I want us to end our, our time together uh, this morning is I just have the feeling that we need some, a few minutes of quiet space to reflect on those things. Because all of us are either in a situation, have been in a situation, or are going into one where this is wisdom that we need from the Lord. Many of us are in circumstances right now where we need to be going to God for refuge, and right now that's not what our response is. 
and we're hurting. Our feelings are hurt and we're angry. And now could be a moment where you can go, God, I I need you to be my refuge. Show me what your will is and how your spirit would lead me into this. So I just want to give us a couple of minutes. I'm going to pray for us and then uh, Nick and and Rachel are going to come up. They're just going to play some music for us and just going to give us some time to reflect. Just a few minutes. And then we're going to end our time uh, in some more singing. Let's pray. God, just so thankful for your word. I'm thankful for how your word gives us very helpful, specific instruction. And we praise you, God, that you have made these promises to us that you are going to protect us. And we praise you, God, that you have rescued us in and through your son. And you haven't counted our sins against us, but saved us from them. So God, would you give us, would you teach us to have the the same kind of patience with other people that you have had with us? God, I know there's people in this room right now who are in the middle of it, in the middle of it. And they're hurting and they're frustrated and they're angry. God, I pray right now in this moment, they would run to you for refuge and you would meet them there with those promises. You'd show them your will. And God, your good spirit would lead them to level ground. God, I confess that step number three is I I struggle with that so much. I don't like anything that's slow and patient. But God, you have shown me and I believe you've shown many of us in this room that when we follow your spirit, you lead us to peace and reconciliation, to level ground. So help us to trust you, God. Help us to trust your promises. Help us to trust your word. And so God, we just wanna spend some time right now reflecting on these words and and God, would your spirit, I ask, I pray that your spirit right now would do work, the work of conviction, the work of encouragement right now in your people. In Christ's name, amen.